This is Cindy, my good friend and mentor, graduated with honors from the University of Connecticut at Storrs, receiving a Bachelor of Fine Arts degree with a major in acting, directing, and playwriting. Cindy is a multi-year recipient of Long Island's Best Psychic. She is the author of multiple books which focus on life, love, and relationships. Cindy has been seen on television and is the regular host of her own radio show on Blog Talk Radio. This is Dr. Gary. He has been in the education field for over 20 years and earned his doctorate from St. John's University. He has spent most of his life motivating students of all ages and achieved mastery as an amazing instructional leader. Dr. Gary has been a personal trainer, teacher, professor, coach, DJ, and a professional wrestler, but he's also a psychic. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Soul Matters Podcast with Cindy Sansone Breath and Dr. Gary. I'm so excited to be here for our second session. We've had a lot of positive feedback uh, over the past week from our first session that we had, and I'm very excited to get into today's topic, uh, which we're going to be talking about mediumship and getting messages from the other side. Um, but before we do that, I wanted to say hello to Cindy. How are you, Cindy? Hope you had a great oh. 4th of July. I had a great time. My first time in my whole life, I kayaked. So, <laughs> Oh, wow. That's exciting. And at first, it, it looked like a disaster because the bay was a little rough. But within about five minutes, I really got the knack of it. So, That's great. Um, Did you see a lot of fireworks? Uh, yes, we saw a lot yesterday. Yesterday, driving home from the Hamptons, we saw them all, all the way across Sunrise Highway everywhere. And then we came home and there were huge fireworks everywhere. Yeah, it's, there was a, definitely a lot last night. Not so much tonight, uh, which is interesting, but um, on my bucket list, I was mentioning to my wife, I'd love to take a flight on the 4th of July and be in the sky in an airplane when there's wow. fireworks everywhere. I think that would be really an amazing sight to see. Well, once I was on a boat doing tarot card readings on the 4th of July in New York City, right where they were shooting off the fireworks. So I had the best view of ever that time. <laughs> That's that's actually really that's and amazing. I got a nice break because actually no one won reading, so I could actually watch it. <laughs> so interesting, very interesting. So I, I think what I'd like to do is some people uh, that we received some feedback, some um, some family, some friends, some people that like the page. Uh, a lot of people had been curious. We had sort of kind of dipped our toes in it uh, at the first session, but we haven't really talked about uh, your path to your ability, your psychic ability, your mediumship ability. And we really didn't talk about um, mine as well. We, like I said, we kind of dipped our toes in it, but I do want to give our listeners a little bit more of a clearer picture as to how you uh, kind of walked in that path and has have taken that journey to get where you are today. So I was hoping that you could kind of talk a little bit about that before we get started into the actual topic. Okay, now I was pretty much tricked into doing this, okay? It was not a person that was sitting under a Bodhi tree waiting for enlightenment or waiting for psychic ability. I was an entertainer. And so when I started doing tarot card readings, it was strictly for entertainment, okay? It was one of my clients asked me if I would read tarot cards at her child's bar mitzvah. And I said, you know, I don't fake anything. Everything I've ever done for your children's parties, whether it was teaching them how to Hawaiian dance or doing a murder mystery or being a clown or puppet show was something I was trained to do. I don't fake stuff. And she said, nobody's asking you to fake it. 
read a book or two and, you know, have some fun. So I had a full year to do this. And I not only read one book, but I probably read 20 books on tarot card readings. And I found it really interesting. Anyone who's ever studied tarot, it's all mythological symbolism, dream symbolisms. So it's fascinating, you know, just from a writer's standpoint to, to understand it. And so after about a year of this, when I went to do my, my bar mitzvah, I really didn't think this worked. I thought I was, you know, like, okay, I can read the cards. We'll have fun. But people started saying, wow, that's really accurate. Wow. You're amazing. And it kind of surprised me. I was a little bit like Whoopi Goldberg and ghosts saying, oh, wow, this stuff works. And about a year after just doing it for the tarot and, um, I started to go through so sort of a midlife crisis, which is a spiritual crisis, Gary, and you're about at the age in the next year or so where you are going to have your midlife crisis. And the midlife crisis is there's more to life than this. And in that midlife crisis, we start to have to heal issues that we may have been dodging for a very long time. We may have not wanted to face those issues. And that was the case for me. And so a lot of my childhood issues still needed to heal. Um, I thought I'd healed them all, but there were some surfacing. And so the very first dead person that I spoke to was my grandfather. And he came through and to remind me of a few things. Now, when I was four years old, I sat on his lap one day and he was wearing a ring with, you know, that had a G in the center and a couple of symbols on it. And I didn't know what it was. And I asked my grandfather, what is that ring? And in his heavy Italian accent, he said, I can't tell you now, but when I die, you'll know. And I thought that was kind of an odd thing to say to a four-year-old. And what it was, was a Mason ring. My grandfather was a Mason. And the Freemasons believe in being able to commune to the dead. And, and I didn't know that at the time. I had no idea. And so when he would begin to talk to me, I, he would remind me that he had promised that after he died, he would tell me what that was. And so he reminded me of the symbols and then I looked it up and I did a lot of research on Freemasons. And basically what he came through to say was, I'm sorry we didn't know how hard your childhood was, but you never told us. You never let us know. Although we knew our son was pretty nuts half the time, but we didn't know things were as bad as they were. And he was saying he would guide me through whatever I needed guiding and that he would be there to hold my hand. And so he really was the first person that I ever communed with. And it was amazing. And so after you start talking to one dead person, you know, it starts opening up. And and it was a little at a time, by the way. It was like not every tarot reading. Maybe it was every 25 readings, I would sort of hear a dead mother or father. And you know me a long time, Gary, and you know, I don't get little messages. I don't get, hi, how are you? We're fine. We're at peace. I get, I'm sorry for all the abuse I did. I'm sorry for stealing from you. I'm sorry for all the horrible things I did. I get really healing messages for people that they've been waiting a long time to hear I'm sorry, or an explanation as to why that person did some of the things that they did. So it started that way with me. The message I got from my grandfather was rather profound and it was meant to heal. And he was training me for all the people you're going to read, you're going to help heal them. And that's how mine began. And 
it was a fascinating journey and it was healing. And I don't think I would have gotten through a lot of the disastrous memories that I had to go through had I not had him there holding my hand and reassuring me that I would be okay. It's fascinating. And, you know, I, one of the things that, um, that I've experienced too, and and some of the things that we've talked about in the past is it seems as though uh, individuals who have gone through severe uh, abuse, neglect, um, any type of trauma have really, uh, not only do they have sometimes developed this ability, but they also are, are more intuitive or more of an empath um, to people that they, that they surround themselves with. Uh, oh, do you find absolutely. that? And I will tell you why. When you're a child and you're having to figure out what kind of mood your crazy parent might be in, okay? You're from the time you're a little child, you're like, oh boy, he's in one of those moods or she's in one of those moods. So I'm going to become invisible or I'm going to go outside or I'm going to find a place to hide because this person is nuts today. And so I learned to read my father's moods unbelievably. And because of that, you become psychic. It's your intuition. You're trusting your gut. It's also dead people guiding you. It could be your spirit guides telling you this person is not in a good mood today. So you had better, you know, do what you need to do to protect yourself. So you're right. I have found most of the light workers and psychics that I know have had hard childhoods. They've had to maneuver their way through it. And it's not unusual. It's something you're kind of trained to do from the day you're born to figure out what someone's mood is. So it's a blessing and a curse because I can tell someone's mood three blocks away. And sometimes I found that it's probably made me a nervous person in many ways because other people might think that person's fine, but I can tell this is not a good person. This is not someone, this person is not going to do what you think they're going to do. And it's even when you go to a doctor or something like that, if I don't like the vibe from the doctor, I might find myself getting really high blood pressure during that particular doctor's visit because they're making me very nervous. So it's something that all of us as children have a psychic ability, but maybe some of us need to make sure it's our, it's our survival. It, ha- it helps us survive. It's very interesting because part of one of the um, questions and or feedback that was given to me was when we encounter uh, a negative person or a negative energy or spirit, how, and how does that translate within you in your body? Um, and how do you process that? And I think you just touched on that, but Could you expand on what you had just said? Well, the first instinct for me is to get a tad bit of anxiety. And I always tell people, don't ignore anxiety. It's not what psychiatrists say, free-floating anxiety for no reason. There's a reason you're experiencing anxiety, particularly when a a person around you or someone that you're speaking to and all of a sudden you're not believing what they're saying, although they seem very convincing about it. So um, my body registers a little bit. My mind has some anxiety. And then I'm sure my blood pressure goes up. All of a sudden, I'm kind of feeling a little, uh, you know, anxious all over in my whole body. And so I've, you know, it really is a, a physiological thing. So empaths have to be careful because they can absorb energies. That's why when I was younger, 
I hated parties as a teenager. But most teenagers are very judgmental. You walk into a party and they're looking at what you're wearing and they're judging you. And they're not necessarily, teenagers are kind of mean. And so you're going to feel that energy. And the ironic part about it is I spent 25 years of my life going to parties every day of my life, sometimes eight in a day as I performed at children's birthday parties or as a belly dancer. So I spent my life in the energy that used to terrify me. And when I would go to do a psychic party or go to do, say, a, even a, a, a birthday party for a child, I would walk in and sense, this family hates each other. This is really bad. This is really bad energy. They don't get along. Nobody likes each other. And I would feel it and want to just get out of there. And my job was to change the energy in that room. And I learned how to kind of seduce an audience in about two minutes because they're either going to like you or hate you in about two minutes. And by the time I left, the energy in the room had shifted greatly because I brought them to joy and love. And sometimes I couldn't do it. Sometimes they were really bad audience. So as an entertainer, to be an empath, to feel an audience, when you have a bad audience, is probably the worst emotion that you, you could ever experience. That's incredible. And I know like it's, you know, by definition, really empaths are the types of people that really take on the emotions and the feelings of the people that are they're surrounding themselves with, which uh in essence creates that anxiety for that particular person. And depending on how, like you had said, you're trying to change that energy, uh, bring joy and love, some people don't know how to process that. So all it really does is create more anxiety, more fear, which really um, kind of clogs their ability to take those vibrations, take that energy and process it into love and joy, as opposed to uh, keeping it bottled in of like fear and anxiety. So I think that that's, that's something that, like you had said, empaths do have to be very careful um, when they enter those types of situations. Oh, absolutely. And so if you, you know, any of our listeners out there are feeling like when they go in a group, they feel anxiety, they want to go home. Um, recognize that you might be picking up on energies in the room that you need to be aware of, but you don't need to take it personally. I've learned they know not what they do. It's not personal. You know, most of the time people don't give a crap about us. They're not even thinking about us. We're like the last thought in their head. So I've learned to not take it personally. Um, it's taken a long time. And, you know, again, empaths is a curse and a blessing. It's, it's a good thing and a bad thing. And I think I've learned to control it very much and I'm aware of it and I'm aware of energies. And I hope we can teach others, just be aware of the energy. It might not be your energy. You might be feeling the energy of the group. That's incredible. That's really interesting. You know, it, you know, similarly, you know, I, I would have to say that my experiences are a little, a little different in, in the way that um, I've kind of traveled down um, this path uh, as a, as a child. Um, I always had these we weird experiences and I always thought that um, I just had been like a super creative thinker. Like I never really gave much thought to it because as a child, you don't really know how to process um, certain feelings, emotions, certain things. You just think, well, it seems like everybody can do those types of things. Um, so I remember being a kid and, you know, my dad always telling us, you know, never be in the backyard without a life jacket. You know, it sounds ridiculous <laughs> to, you know, to any five-year-old who knows everything, right? <laughs> um, so we had this massive 20 by 40 in-ground pool, um, you know, beautiful yard that would put, you know, resorts to shame. And, you know, 
you know, I was mildly disobedient. I guess you could say that I was more, you know, curious as disobedient. Um, and my sister and I began kind of engaging in a little cat and mouse game around the pool. Uh, and as I closed in on catching my sister, uh, she jumped into the pool. Needless to say, I wouldn't have her obviously, um, be, be victorious and in, in <laughs> outrunning me. So I jumped in after her, not realizing that I can't swim. Uh, so, you know, I plunged in and I sunk to the bottom. Now my, my pool at the time had three levels and it was a three and a half foot, five and a half foot and a 10 foot deep end. Wow. Um, and when I jumped in, I just remember, um, seeing myself as though I was outside of my body in the deep end, looking at myself in the lower end, um, drowning. And I remember it very vividly. Uh, and it was just a very, um, bizarre type of, uh, experience. Uh, it was clearly an out of body experience and I, I didn't understand what was happening. Uh, I could see my cheeks, my, you know, filled with air, uh, my eyes pinched shut. And it, it seems as though I was on the bottom of the pool for an eternity. Um, the final image I actually had was my parents jumping in the pool and, and pulling me up. Um, and I was, you know, back to myself and obviously gasping for air. Um, but it was a very unique experience. Now jump ahead 15 years and my next experience would kind of happen. And again, these things I only started thinking about, um, in the last 10 years and that'll make more sense as I kind of go through this. So I had asked, um, my sibling at the time, if he would uh, allow me to spend the night in his apartment, uh, I was a little older and, you know, I wanted to kind of just get out of my house. So he had worked long hours and he had an apartment, uh, two different apartments. So I stayed in his house, um, his apartment in Holbrook. So I found myself kind of unable to sleep, um, unable to kind of fall into a deep sleep. I was tossing and turning. I remember facing the window and then I shifted back to the doorway. As I shift back to the doorway, I saw like an outline of what appeared to be like a human with no real defined characteristics. So if I could wow. make a comparison to something like if you light a light a match or you you turn a lighter on and you look at the air directly above the lighter, it's almost like that um that very wavy type of image that you see. That is exactly what I saw just in like a human form, but no, you know, like I said defining characteristics. So the image presented itself um and it was kind of like a free form um and this formation of this image was created. So I was like immediately paralyzed and I'm assuming it was probably from fear, but I was more intrigued um, as I couldn't move. I, wow. I was really just, I was frozen. Uh, so we were in a deadlock stare, uh, staring into the eyes of an image that had no eyes. And uh, the image began to run at me. Uh, I still could not move um, as the image was just a few feet away from me uh, in an instant the figure had dove straight into my body. Uh, all of my extremities stiffened, uh, arms to the side. My legs were stiff as a board. I was paralyzed uh, from the feeling and unable to control my movements. I then felt the image, uh, the spirit kind of lift off of me uh, and exit my body. And within like a nanosecond, the spirit was gone with nothing left behind but unexplained circumstance and confusion. Um, I happened to speak to my sibling after that and told him what had happened. And, uh, 
he didn't seem too phased by it because he <laughs> felt he actually was like, yeah, um, it's, it's grandma. And you know, she's kind of, you know, she moves things in my apartment and, you know, I kind of feel her there all the time. And meanwhile, I'm like, wait, what? Like, are you, are you serious? <laughs> um, and then now fast forward again to my most recent, which was probably about, I'd say 10, 11 years ago. And that was the time that Cindy and I had met. Um, we had, uh, we had, and I briefly touched on this, the last session, uh, we had been in a, in a reading that was mostly defined uh, around my my wife and really was dealing with uh, circumstances surrounding her life. And shortly after our reading, I had went home and I had spoke to my wife about the reading. And then within a few days, I started like seeing images of my dad who had recently passed uh, within the year. I started seeing um, seeing his image. I started seeing him when I was um, out. Uh, when I would be talking to my wife, I would see him behind her. And a lot of those things started to kind of happen more frequently. And it wasn't until I had spoke to Cindy when uh, the the instance happened where my brother-in-law, who I never met, was coming to me in very, very vivid form um, to basically tell me that the circumstances surrounding his death uh, were not what they had suspected, and that in fact he was showing me how he was murdered. Uh, and I know it's probably shocking to hear something like that. And let me tell you, to have that as my first experience was wow. scary. Uh, but I wouldn't shut it off. I didn't want. I wanted to welcome it because I was, I was so excited that something like this was happening to me. So I sat with my wife and and we spoke. And and I guess you could say that was my first reading. Um, that I had given her and it was probably about four hours and the details of all of the things that were coming out were just, uh, it was overwhelming, incredible. And from there, I almost didn't know how, like what to do. So I know Cindy and I had started to conversate and, and I kind of almost debriefed with you. And from there is when you kind of told me like, you know, start, start practicing, start, you know, using, and you had, we had started using the, uh, the tower cards and I started to, you know, do it more frequently and, you know, ask friends and family if I could possibly, you know, um, you know, work on them and, and give them readings. And it just started to kind of open up for me. And it, what, what an amazing thing to be able to do. And most of the people that I were drawn to, which is why I had spoke about um, empaths, and almost spoke about, you know, we were speaking about how um, those types of people, people that have experienced abuse, tend to be empaths or be a little bit more intuitive or enlightened. I found myself being, I guess you could say, attracted to read people that have had severe trauma um, in their childhood, in their life, uh, that I really was able to kind of pull out. Uh, and I found that to be kind of fascinating and, and scary at the same time, because some of these people hadn't even really addressed it with either their spouses or their family. And it was coming to be very frequently that that was starting to happen. Since then, over the course of the 10 years, um, I have a more uh, wider uh, selection of people and I speak to people, um, you know, more about, you know, love relationships, a lot about health Um medical conditions, um, that type of thing really is what, uh, kind of I focus on now and what drives me. Uh, but it's, it's something that kind of, you know, leads us to now this topic about mediumship and understanding like 
What does it mean to get messages from the other side? What does it look like? What does it feel like? You know, all of these things um, that people are, are curious about, I'd like to kind of um, jump in from there. Okay. And you said the word, the other side. Most yes. of us think it's always been called the other side. It has been for a long time, but the person who really brought it to the mainstream in like the 1960s was a man called Hans Holzer. And he was a ghostbuster. And I remember being very young and watching a television show during the day, you know, one of those TV talk shows, and I'm about 10, and there's nobody in the house but me. And up till then, I thought, you know, ghosts, that was all like, we were all told it's make-believe, it's not real. And here comes this ghostbuster, Hans Holzer, onto the TV with pictures of ghosts and all this stuff and how it's real, it's not fake. And I'm in the house alone, scared now, like, oh my God, this stuff is, you know, real. And years later, um, by the way, um, Dan Aykroyd created Ghostbusters, uh, the show Ghostbusters, uh, the movie from Hans Holzer. He was obsessed with him as a child. Interesting. So, and one of the characters I portrayed as a children's entertainer, laugh out loud, was a Ghostbuster. And when I did this show, it was like, it was one of those shows that I, I really didn't know why it worked, but every single show, something really out of worldly would happen. And, you know, with huh. a balloon just pop for no reason, or one little girl really thought she saw her dead grandmother and went screaming. But every show, there was something that made it seem like we were really ghost busting. And I laugh at that because, you know, he brought the word the other side kind of to mainstream. And the ironic part about it is about 12 years ago in the Hamptons, I met a woman who happens to be a countess and she had been married to Hans Holzer and she had been a ghostbuster with him. Wow. So here it was the person that made me like know that ghosts might be real and that I get to actually meet her. And, you know, fascinating that as I'm researching the book that I'm writing, um, Confessions of a Reluctant Long Island Psychic, I should come around to Hans Holzer again. But um, he was just a fascinating person that really brought a lot of this thing to the mainstream. So we've always thought that other side was something everybody always used. I'm sure it, it was used some, by someone else prior to it, but he's really the one that made us all understand it. And yeah, trying to figure out, are we getting messages from the other side? And um, first and foremost, I'm extremely grounded. And I always look for the earthbound reason before I'm going to look for something out of worldly or something else. So I want to see like, could this have something happen just on the earth plane? And I encourage young people, especially have listeners who are young. There's a fine line between psychic and psychotic, a very fine line. And, you know, you don't want to feel like everything's a sign, you know, everything. Sometimes a cigar is a cigar, you know, not everything's a sign. So sometimes they get so off into this, like everything's coming from angels, everything's a sign. And they can end up landing in mental hospitals because there's certain amount, we have to be grounded to the earth plane. But how do you begin to feel like you're getting messages from the other side? The best way is to like keep a journal and write down a question you want from someone who's crossed over or some help you need. And you'll be surprised 
in a day or two how they will get back to you. You'll get an answer. Maybe you'll read a newspaper article that has the answer you're looking for. You turn on the TV and there's a news story about it. So it's you kind of get an inner knowing when you've talked to the other side. You just kind of feel like, yeah, that was real. So now when that? you say when you say grounded to the earth plane, now do you just mean that are you trying to like before you start to read somebody, you look for basically the most logical, right in front of you reason uh, why something might happen. So if somebody says to you, well, I'm not getting pregnant. And then the, fir- the first question you ask is, well, are you having sex? Right. And the answer and is no. Often? Right. How often? <laughs> right. Then right. that's, that's really, really how you're, how you're interpreting the, you know, the earth, earth plane. plane. Is what you're, right. Right. Okay. And also being granted to the earth plane recognizes, I don't care how psychic or spiritual or enlightened you are, you're going to freeze out there without a coat in the winter and without warmth. And you're going to starve to death without money to buy food. Like we're first and foremost, human animals. And we have to honor the fact that we have human needs that are warmth and shelter. And those things mean grounding ourselves enough on earth to take care of those needs you know, where sometimes people just think, well, God's going to provide or uh, spirit's going to provide. Angels are going to bring it to me. And I'm like, no, you know, God helps those who help themselves. Miracles are earned. You have to earn a miracle. You can't just sit there and say, well, I don't have to go to work because I'm going to win the lotto tomorrow because, you know, in the laws of attraction, I see myself winning the lotto. So I'm going to win the lotto. So I always try to tell people, yeah, you might win the lotto, but you might want to go to work too. You know, you got to make money. So I try not to be woo-woo out there. And, you know, you have a doctorate, you're educated. Most of my clients are extremely educated. They are doctors, they're lawyers, they're judges, they're teachers. Um, And, you know, if they're any kind of professional, they're brilliant in what they do, whether they're an electrician, they're brilliant. So, you know, my clients are really, really intelligent and, you know, I don't want to be woo-wooing out there because you may turn off some people. They don't want to hear woo-woo out there. You know, they want to also get some down-to-earth, you know, advice as well. So it's a and fine I think, line. And I think that's interesting not to cut you off, but I, I do think that um, what you're saying, like you're, you're speaking to like, you know, highly intelligent people. A lot of the time when when I'm speaking with people, I, I try to do that you know, I, I do that, that earth plane, making sure that we're grounded, making sure that we're seeing what's right in front of us first. And I'm sure you're not surprised by it. And and I'm starting to realize that I shouldn't be surprised by it. Uh, but many people, when they're seeking this type of advice, um, they're, they really don't sometimes see what's right in front of them. And it takes that, you know, it really does take that initial like, okay, well, and I'll use the same reference, like, oh, I can't get pregnant. Well, are you having sex? No, I'm not. Well, okay. Um, how would you like that to happen? Right, exactly. I, I think that it almost takes that initial, and for me, it's actually how I, I branch the, um, the earth plane to the psychic and spiritual world for me, I get those vibrations, I get that energy, and that kind of gets me to hit the ground running, so to speak, um, and be able to uh, get those messages for them and then be able to kind of uh, navigate through the reading. So I think that that's, it's interesting that people don't necessarily uh, see that initially. uh, But again, I think that, you know, generally when we're, what we're finding is people, uh, that we are reading or that are coming to us are, are are looking for answers or looking for help or looking for guidance. And, you know, sometimes 
you know, I, I think in any situation, you know, if we're in a bad marriage or we're in a bad relationship or we're having um, many issues at work, we don't necessarily see what right what's right in front of us. Like, you know, the, maybe the marriage isn't working, but you just don't want to see that. And 10 other people have told you that it's not working, but yet you just still don't see it. So sometimes it takes that, you know, that kind of like smack right into the wall to then realize, yeah, of course, like this is what I need to kind of start with and look at this, this earth plan, look, become grounded first. And then we can start speaking about, um, you know, we had talked about the other side. Exactly. And, you know, it's hard because sometimes people want everything to be something psychic or whatever. And sometimes it's just not, it's just not. And so I always try to get people to like, yes, we want to be spiritual, but we always, always have to remember that we have an earthly body too, and that needs care. And, you know, a lot of times people think uh, they're going to expand their consciousness by abusing drugs and that's how they're going to become spiritual, blah, blah, blah. And I'm always like, no, that's not the right route to it. It's not the right route. You know, it's going to destroy your body and, you know, you can get very spiritual just from, you know, anywhere, you could start anywhere to become spiritual or a medium. Just begin by believing. The number one thing is you have to believe. If you believe it exists, it's much easier. If you don't believe it exists, believe me, I have people, you know, that you can give them a million concrete things from the other side and they still don't believe, you know. So um, believing in it, believing that they're there, they love to give us signs. They're always very funny. They never, they're never trying to scare us. So a lot of times people say, oh, I had this really, really terrifying, scary thing happen to me. And oftentimes they're just watching scary shows, you know, supernatural, spiritual, scary shows. So, you know, for the most part, like you had ex a scary experience. I don't think I've ever really had anything that scared me per se. And um, even when they've opened realms on the other side where I'm talking to someone who's equivalent to Hitler, uh, it's not very pleasant. The room can get very cold. It scared me the first time because the person was kind of cursing me out from the other side and kind of <laughs> let me know they were going to kill me or hurt me. And until I heard spirits say, no, they can't hurt you. Just like let them keep blabbing because they're going to just, they think they're in the worst realm there is. They're going to just get locked about four, four realms lower if they continue this. So, um, so now when you say the room got cold, did you mean physically uh, got cold? It physically got cold. So that's like, that's the, that's almost like the explanation of like what physical mediumship would be. So if like some, if a room gets cold or if you, a, a smell kind of emits um, from somewhere or you get that type of that feeling or that signal, I'm assuming that that is, is how we would classify a physical mediumship. Now we do know that the, like the, the mental mediumship, like that ESP, like they refer to it as ESP, oh, yeah. that extrasensory perception, which where, you know, we, we hear or we see, or we feel um, these types of messages from, from people that have, um, that are coming to us. So I did receive actually another question um, from Carla who had said, you know, what does the spirit feel or sound like? And how can somebody such as ourselves differentiate from our internal voice? And I think that was an amazing question because it was something that as a kid, I always thought that everybody had that. I never thought anything different. So how, if you had to explain, how would you differentiate between 
what the spirit feels and sounds like and what your internal voice sounds like. Okay. So actually, if I knew that answer, I'd probably be a gazillionaire. Okay. If I could really figure out that answer fully, but it's what we would say that inner knowing. Um, And I know when I'm in a zone and the zone is just getting your brain waves to slow and you're in a zone where things come through. I get it in thought forms. I don't hear voices. I don't see things. It's just very clear thought forms. And I know it's not my own because I just have this inner knowing that this is coming from spirit. And again, if my ego gets in the way because someone's judging it too harshly or saying, I don't really believe in mediumship, blah, 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 then I'm going to get a little off. But if people will just let me get in the zone and just deliver what's coming through, it just flows. And, and I know it's not coming from me because there's stuff that there's no way I could know it. Like certain stuff coming through, I just I just couldn't know it. Where would I get that from? I don't know these people from Adam. How am I going to get it? I mean, I, I've done readings at a psychic party where I don't even know the people's first name half the time, let alone a last name. Right. And I don't have a computer in front of me. I have nothing. And I've given them such specific, such information. And they'll say, oh, you Googled me. I go, when and where? Right. When? I, I, I've... I don't know who was going to be at this party. I've never seen you before. I don't even remember your first name, let alone your last name. And do you see a computer in front of me? And it's just that kind of clear, definitive information has to be coming from someplace. And so you, I've been doing this a long time. So I've come to trust the source, even if they won't recognize, you know, sometimes they just won't tell me who they are. They just don't want to be recognized. They won't tell me, but I trust the source. And, and also to tell me, you know, something that took me a long time to realize, just because you die, you don't become a saint. And they do lie on the other side. They'll come through and lie. And I can now know uh, beyond a shadow of doubt that they're lying. And telepathically, I will tell the that soul that being on the other side that, you know, you got like one chance here to like kind of, you know, just say you're sorry. Don't say anything else. But, you know, if you're going to start lying, that's karmically very bad you know, it's a really bad karmic thing to do. And sometimes they're surprised that I know they're lying. And I'm like, I didn't know that the first 10 years I did this, I assumed everybody's telling the truth from the other side. Okay. Right. Because now, again, it takes that, it, it takes that, you know, that training. Time and that training to understand exactly what those messages and how they're, how do you training. interpret them? But I can pick up on lying maybe within two minutes that the spirit's talking. I'm like, mm, because what they're saying doesn't ring true to me. Remember I told you, I have to hear, is it ringing true? And if they're telling me something that's not ringing true, that means they're lying. And so I, you know, they'll laugh because people tell me, oh, that person always lied. They're not surprised, you know, <laughs> like that person mm-hmm. was always lying. And they thought, well, maybe now that they're dead, they'll start telling the truth. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't, you know, so. I think I would have to agree with you too. You know, with me, you know, I think that the the clear like thought forms, like the inner knowing coming from spirits, that has a that is pretty much how I get um, my messages as well. But a lot of the things that I get, and and generally it's my it's my father who is my spirit guide who who delivers messages for people um, that he doesn't know either. Um, but I do get them a lot in picture form. So he will either show me pictures, draw me pictures, or draw a, I guess you could say, draw a comparison to something that I've experienced so that I could explain to them what they're going through. Like it may, it may come across like, you know, 
uh, Gary, this is something that, you know, just like when this happened, this is exactly what's going on with that. So I get that, uh, that bridge of information so that I can deliver that, um, like symbols and pictures. So well, that's kind of playing your mind like a piano. Right. They, they press parts of my memory bank says this person's like your mother and give it, and I'll know a volume of information or this person's like that, or this is like that situation. They're just pressing my memory bank. And that gives me a lot of information to share. So that is a pretty easy way for them to give us information. Uh, it's it's distinguished from other ways where I just feel it's a thought forum. But they do work with my memory bank. They also work with our intelligence. So the stupider the psychic, the stupider of information. If, if, if it's she's not a very, or he is not a very bright human being, the information, you know, they may not be able to make any sense of it at all for you. And they may be dumping this stuff in your lap and they don't know how to process it. Part of it is using my intellect. They use my knowledge. Okay. They, you know, they use what I, and, you know, I have volumes of knowledge because I was an avid reader. I, I love to read. So I've acquired tons of information and, and volumes of stuff that I tend to remember what I read. And so, you know, a lot of times what's coming through is they're telling me something that this person's going through. And then they're pressing my mind how I solved that issue or how I healed that in myself. So they're using my healing, my intellect, my knowledge, and that's part of the process. And so, you know, it's not just, you know, sometimes, you know, a psychic will just deliver whatever's coming through, but they don't help you process it. What good is that? If they see a symbol of a snake and a crocodile, well, I see a snake, I see a crocodile. And that's what they say to you. Well, what are you going to make out of that? You can Google a thousand things and have a different meaning, but they should know why that snake might be coming through or what symbol they may be wanting to use. So it's not enough just to, to you know, spout out things. You have to really interpret them as well. And I think so, that's one of the reasons too. Uh, you know, when I use the 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 tower cards, and you know, if there if there is a serpent that appears on a tower card, it it's like it wouldn't be me saying, "Well, there's a snake," so you know, you probably don't want to go to a swamp or anything with tall <laughs> grass. Uh, you know, it's something like that. Because um, I remember when I started learning how to do that, I had asked you, like, "Am am I interpreting these as though?" as though what are like the feelings that I'm getting? And you're like, that's absolutely the way that you're doing it. So I end up r arranging the cards as though it's a story. And a lot of the time I, I get them and I, and I try to rearrange them in almost like their, um, their life story and what's happening from beginning to end. That's kind of the way I like to, to organize the information. And usually by the end there, you know, people are like, wow, that's, that's incredible. Like that's, that, that's from beginning to end. So I do think that that's very important because it's not only important to to provide the client with an accurate reading, but also to help them process what you're actually saying to either help them heal, help them understand, and also to, you know, again, to provide them with the ability to to find joy, to find love. And I think that that's ultimately what we're, what we're trying to do here. Exactly. So again, it's not an exact science for every person. You know, the longer you've been doing it, you know, you just, the more you do it, the more you learn. And spirit is very, very helpful. And they want us to learn. They're, if we just meet them halfway, they come running to give us information. You know, they want you to feel that you're not alone, especially what I'm calling it the Corona blues. A lot of people have the blues right now from what's going on. 
And spirit's trying to tell us, you know, you know, got lemon, make a lemonade. Try to figure out what's the lessons in Corona, uh, you know, and don't get sad and blues about it, but they're trying to help us. That's what they're trying to do. And uh, they're there for us. And if you're lost and you don't know where you're going, sometimes you got to turn it over to God. You got to turn it over to spirit. You got to say, look, I really don't know what to do in this situation. And I became spiritual really deeply in one point in my life when I was 40. And I told you my experience with the tarot cards and how I did it for the bar miss. But at the same time, I didn't know how to handle a situation. And I just was on my knees saying, and I hadn't spoken to God in a very long time. I said, you know, dear God, I, I need help. I need a miracle. And from then on, spirit just came rushing, just came rushing to help. So sometimes we just need to say, I need a miracle. I need help. I'm scared during the coronavirus. I'm scared. I, I don't I don't know how I'm going to get through this. Turn it over to spirit. Watch them guide you, you know, giving you some, telling you to meditate or work out or go for a walk or you know, all of a sudden you'll hear this thing saying, well, why don't you watch this movie? So they start to guide you through books, through movies, through bringing people in alignment with you. So pay attention. Once you open this vortex, they're ready to help. But then, and I will, you know, kind of finish up our show on, don't come to me for a reading if you don't want change. Because if I give you a piece of information about someone or something or someone you need to leave or a job you need to leave. If you don't listen and you just do what you were doing before you got a reading, you're going to get the full whammy of karma. Sure. And it it's going to hit you really hard. So I tell people, if you're not ready for change, don't come to me. Because once I deliver that message, you ask for help and you didn't listen. And now the universe is going to kick you so hard, bring you to your knees. And you're going to realize if I'm going to get guidance, I have to listen. So when I guidance, I listen. You know, and it's, I don't want to listen. <laughs> it's uh, you know, it's something that uh, you know, God rest her soul. My mother-in-law used to say to to my wife and I is sometimes you just have to give it up to God. Give it and, up to God. And I think that 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 really um, that's a great way to kind of to kind of end this uh, this session tonight. So um, great information. Like this is amazing. Uh, you know, so excited to be able to sit down with you again and go through all this information. I, I really think that uh, as we move through this, each episode is going to get uh, better and better. And I'm hoping that we reach more and more people and people find value in what we're doing. And it provides them with the peace, the love, the joy uh, that we're trying to to put on display here. So once again, Cindy, thank you so much for being with us uh, tonight. And we will speak soon and have our third session very shortly. Okay, and remember, turn to us because we know soul matters. Have a great night, everyone. Bye. It's amazing. Oh, it's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. Now. We want to hear from you, our listeners. If you have a topic or a question or would like to be a guest on Soul Matters Podcast with Cindy and Dr. Gary, please email us at soulmatterspodcast at gmail.com.